And now, it's time for Coffee Talk and Confessional Christian Conversation. This is the Cafe Solar Podcast with your host, Christopher Hogan. Well, that's a pretty fancy smancy open. You know, it didn't cost much, but it does make the podcast sound pretty cool. Anyway, thank you for joining me for this uh, episode of the Cafe Solar Podcast. Today is another bonus episode. It's another hymn study episode. And yes, it's another one that was recorded at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas, and was led by Pastor Chris Hull. Today's Bible study is on the hymn, O Little Flock, Fear Not the Foe. Guess what hymn number it is? It's hymn number 666. Yeah, but we're not going to get all superstitious about that, are we? We're just going to sit back, relax, and enjoy this Bible study. God's blessings on your day. Okay, can anyone tell me who the dude in the picture is? Gustavus Adolphus, the golden lion, the king of Sweden. Right? Thirty Years' War happens. Right, 1617, 1647, Germany, hey, hey, we got sound. Thank you, Jason. We got sound. You know, Germany's getting beat by the Roman Catholics, basically. They're defeating the Protestants, driving them out of Europe. But then all of a sudden, when all hope was lost, in come the Swedes with Gustavus Adolphus at the front. Huh? No, and Gustavus Adolphus is considered one of the greatest military tacticians in history. The way he employed um, guns and spears, cavalry and everything, brilliant. And he just pushed everybody back, won major battles. And basically, if it wasn't for Gustavus Adolphus and the Swedish Lutherans, who knows what would have happened in Lutheranism in Europe and therefore Lutheranism in the world. So you can very, be very thankful for Gustavus Adolphus, who was eventually killed in battle. He was riding with his men, the cavalry. And in the midst of going, he got separated from his men, all the smoke, the gunpowder, the smoke is in the air. You know, when he gets separated, he got shot in the chest, shot in the shoulder. His horse got shot in the neck. Horse didn't die, but he couldn't control the horse. So he kept going, and then he got shot in the back again, and then he got stabbed, and then finally killed him by shooting him in the temple. So, and then what of the course they do? They stripped him and humiliated him, and the Lutherans, they finally found him a little while later. But um, brilliant tactician, beautiful saint of God who fought for the faith. Two hymns that were popular that he liked singing uh, when, when marching in the battle was one that we started with, right? A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And the other one he enjoyed singing was the hymn we're singing today, hymn 666, O Little Flock, Fear Not the Foe. It's a beautiful, beautiful hymn. Sometimes we Lutherans get superstitious, right? And we don't want to sing this hymn. Why? Because it's six, six, six. Mark of the Beast. That's why it's a favorite. That's why it's a good one. I love it. I asked Dr. Grimm. He was uh, one of the heads of this, the new hymnal. He's a professor at Fort Wayne. And uh, me and a buddy were at lunch with him one day, and we asked, was it planned that this hymn would land on number 666? He says, yes, we say that now. Originally, no, that was not the intent. But we say that now, yes, it was intentional. <coughs> Yeah, it's fun times. This is a beautiful hymn, a very short hymn. It's only four stanzas, not very long, very easy to memorize, very easy tune uh, to sing. 
Um, Jakob Fabricius wrote it. Fabricius was a, um, a Lutheran minister. Not too much is known about him, like some of the people we've talked about already, like Luther and Gerhard, and, uh, oh, who was the guy we did the second week, or third, what was his name? Oh, man. Stoddard. The Peace Like a River guy, what was his name? Stephanus, 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 we knew a lot about him, right? We talked about their backstories a lot. With Fabricius, there's not that much of a backstory, but what we know is that eventually he ended up being the chaplain in the court, the court of Gustavus Adolphus. So that's how this hymn, you know, he can, he can observe, because um, Adolphus was fighting all the time. His father had made lots of enemies in Poland. Was Poland a haven of Lutheranism? Not really, more Roman Catholic, right? Uh, Russia, all these areas. His father had war, so when Gustavus Adolphus became king, he was always fighting, always at war. So Fabricius observed this and knew that his king would be facing fears, facing death on a regular basis. So it's in the midst of that understanding, facing death on a regular basis, that we have this beautiful hymn written, O Little Flock. Fear not the foe, which is on the page um, attached to your study. So how about, <coughs> sorry, my voice is going out of cold this past week. <coughs> so it's coming back to me a little bit. It's all coming back. Sorry. Um, be back in a minute. But let's sing verse 1 of O Little Flock. Ready, everybody? O Little Flock, fear not the foe, who madly seeks your question, how does this verse grant us strength in the midst of the devil's attacks and the world's worries? Not just verse of the stanza one we sang, but also Luke 12. Who's got it for us, Luke 12? Martha, go ahead, ma'am. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Do not worry. Do not be afraid, little flock. Your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. What does that mean to give you the kingdom? To welcome us in. To, to welcome us in. What? You, you're in bliss eternal. You're in heaven. You have all there is that is the Father's. You have Christ. Christ gave his entire self for you. Right? You have everything that is the Father's is yours. It's his desire to give it to you. A couple weeks ago, um, probably some of y'all know this because I post on everything I do on Facebook. Uh, I competed in the Highland Games. My first time doing it. Did I do a really awesome job and look awesome the whole time? No. I was terrible. The log, the cable I had to toss, didn't go too well for me. The 56-pound weight, I did not throw it that far past your damn. I told him how far I threw it. He's like, I could have done better. I'm like, I bet you could. Um, you know, make fun of it. But, you know, I wasn't looking good. So the guys who were out there that were the experts, the guys who've been doing this for 15, 20 years, were they on the sideline laughing at me, mocking me, saying, oh, look at the girly man. Is that what they were doing? <laughs> no. No. Encouragement. No. <laughs> what were they doing? What were these guys who, knew, who could throw the stone 
62 feet away. What were they doing for me? Encouraging you. Encouraging, helping, teaching, teaching, building me up, cheering me on. Right? Why? Because they are good at it. They're good at this thing. They don't have to compete with me and make themselves feel better. They're already better than me. And they were there themselves. They were there competing. So the reality is they don't have to come and make themselves feel better by making me feel weaker. Right? That's the reality. How should this verse then change our life? If we've been given the kingdom... All that there is of God, all that there is of heaven, the forgiveness of our sins, eternal life and salvation is ours. How do we act then? We want to encourage others. To be generous with God's forgiveness and everything. Exactly. You're right, Lisa. We can be generous with God's gift and with everything we can be generous. If generosity is not there, what is not there? Faith is not there. If you do not believe God has given you the kingdom, then you're going to continue acting like a jerk. That's the reality. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. If you are not loving toward your neighbor, loving toward God, then you must do what? It starts with an R. Repent. Repent. God gives you and I the kingdom. Everything is ours. That means we love each other, we encourage each other, we forgive each other, we, we spend time with each other, we build each other up. This is what we do. What is an army that fights itself? Will it win? It will lose. Right? A house divided. A house divided cannot stand. I love in, in the World War II, right? Who was the best American general? Thank you. He wasn't in charge, right? You had Eisenhower, you had Bradley, Eisenhower, and then Marshall back home, right? But Patton is, who is, who is the Brits' number one guy? Phil Marshall Montgomery, right? What would happen when they would try to fight against each other? Yeah, and it wouldn't go well, right? But when they just were both allowed to do what they were supposed to do, the Germans had no hope, and they got annihilated. The reality is when we, as the army of God, fight each other, nitpick each other, bash each other, put each other down, what happens? The real enemy, who is the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh, wins the day. We've been given the kingdom. This is the beautiful part, full forgiveness of you. All of your transgressions forgiven. This is who you are in Christ. Therefore, you don't need to fear the devil, the world, and your sinful nature. You don't have to fear because God has done everything for you. If God is for you, who can be against you? As the psalmist says, this is beautiful stuff. And it changes how we live with each other. How we act toward each other. My wife and I were conversing this past week. We like talking. It's a good part of marriage. We're talking about the little things. Everyone has a little thing about their spouse they don't like, right? Some little things like he doesn't put the toilet paper roll back on. Like it, the right way, correct? Where you pull down on Not when you pull from underneath, right? Anyone who does that is just an abomination. You're worse than someone who eats turkey bacon. You know, going against God-given plans. But the thing is, would you get a divorce over putting the toilet paper roll back on? 
Maybe, who knows? <laughs> I got a D-I-B-O-R-C. That's what we're getting. With the control I tell you, good old country. But the reality is you, you, you don't get mad about these things. You dust it off. Or as Pastor Daniels told me last week, I know he enjoys Taylor Swift. You shake it off. Didn't he say, isn't that what I heard last week? Pastor Daniels went off for like five minutes of loving Taylor Swift. No. That's what I heard. See, that's the problem with rumors. You never know what's true. No. It, it's, I love it. But the reality is, because this has been given to us, we, instead of getting mad at our neighbor because of their shortcoming, what do we do with their shortcomings? Forgive them. We forgive them. We cover them in Christ. We shower them in grace. This is what the baptized does. If you're not doing it, what does that mean? You don't understand forgiveness. You don't get it. <laughs> One of my favorite things to do is run into people during the week after they've missed church on Sunday. I love it! You don't have to say anything to me. I, you're not, I don't save you. I don't atone for your sins. And guess what? I don't really care what your reason is. It doesn't matter. You can be tired. Good for you. I have five children. I'm always tired. <laughs> Had a hard week at work. I did too. It was a fun time. One day on Saturday night, I held a 15-week in utero baby in my hand. You think I wanted to get up the next morning and come to church? You know? We all have a hard week. We all have hard times. But what's the most important thing about each week? Is being... Here. Here. Receiving the gifts. That's what matters. Nothing else matters. That's what matters. But when I run into that person, do I look at them and go, Oh, I'm sorry, you're going to hell. Is that what I say? <laughs> no, it depends. If they're running away from me and don't want to see me, yeah. But no, what do I do? I shower them in forgiveness. It's, hey, that's why Jesus died on the cross, because you break the third commandment. Be at peace. Jesus loves you. <laughs> And that's why you should be in church, because he wants to tell you more about how he loves you. Ernie, you had your hand up. I'm sorry I didn't call you. My apologies. No, keep going. We're still on that. Don't worry. That's how my mind works. It's one roller coaster. Here in time and there in eternity, right? <clears throat> Right here. The first Advent 1, the reading for Advent 1 is Matthew 21, right? Jesus entering into Jerusalem. And Luther beautifully says there's three ways Jesus, the kingdom of God, comes to us. First is in the incarnation. The fact that Jesus, the Son of God, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. That's the kingdom of God. Second way the kingdom of God comes to us is right now here in the means of grace. The gospel preached, the sacraments given. The third time the kingdom of God will come is on the last day. But we look forward to that last day in the midst of the second coming of the kingdom, which is right now in the forgiveness of our sins. And it's a beautiful thing. We don't fear. Not because we ourselves are good, or we ourselves have done something to make things better. We do not fear because Christ has done all things well for us and continues to do so. Because he gives us the gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation. Gifts that are greater than any other gift that can ever be given. 
I've started teaching my sons differently recently. How to plan for life. And I've said there's one thing that should drive every decision you make. And it's the reality that you are going to heaven when you die. That you will be with Christ eternally. Everything else is dictated to by that reality. So what's the most important day of the week then? Monday through Saturday? No, it is Sunday. It is a beautiful thing. I, I wrote a blog post yesterday. A handful of people from the church shared it. I made the point, if you miss church Sunday, don't bother going to work Monday through Friday. Because you're too sick to go to work. You're too tired to go to work. Don't do it. Just stay home. Right? Call your boss and say, I'm sorry, I can't come in this week. I missed church. Would anyone do that? Why? Because work is important. My boss is God. Right? Money you make at work is God. Yeah, the money you make at work is God. Which will go away, right? I think there's a story about that with barns and a bigger barn and then dead. We don't fear because nothing in this life matters unto eternity. We don't need to be afraid because the kingdom of God is ours. What did Jesus say at the end of our gospel reading today? Rejoice not that you have authority over the spirits, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, I wish I did do screens here some days just because I like visual stuff. I almost wish that whenever we do a baptism, there was a video up there that showed your name being engraved in a stone in heaven in Jesus' blood. Because that's what's happening in baptism. You're named by Christ, claimed by Him. It's beautiful. So we fear nothing. This is the thing that drove Gustavus Adolphus to pick up the spear and kill Roman Catholics. Why? Because they rejected this reality. They didn't trust in Christ alone, but in what for their salvation? Their works. Their works. The word of the Pope. Are we any different though today? No. No, not really. We just have a different Pope. We have different works. Right? That's the reality. Comments, questions? Verse 2! Verse 2. Be of good cheer, your cause belongs to him who can avenge your wrongs. Leave it to him, our Lord. Though hidden yet from mortal eyes, his Gideon shall for you arise. from everybody. What book of the Bible is Gideon? The Judges, right? Six through eight, Gideon. Who does Gideon beat? Starts with an M. Ends with Gideon. Midian. With how many guys? 20,000 guys? 300. He was the original 300 movie, right? Gideon. No, never mind. No one knows Spartan stuff. 300 men defeats Midian. And what happens with uh, he, he frees everybody. Gideon does the work. Don't you love God? Everyone keeps coming, all these big numbers. And God's like, 
send them back, send them back, tell them to go home. You know, until it's finally down to just 300 guys, and boom, Gideon defeats the enemies of Israel. Beautiful stuff. We can't win with only 300. Yeah, I tell you, I love it. There we are, they were inspired by scripture. That'd be a nice thought, wouldn't it? Oh me, I love it. Who is the Gideon that shall arise for us? Jesus. Donald Trump. I'm kidding. Have you seen that? Some of the some uh, Orthodox Jews are now actually saying Donald Trump is is the John the Baptist for the Messiah. Has anyone been reading that? That's a fun one. I read that the other day. Some like more Orthodox Jews looking for the Messiah, are seeing him as the forerunner for the great Messiah to come back. And I'm like, whoo! It's gonna be fun. Trust not in princes; they are but mortal. Oh well. Where's that from? Is that him? I think that is. We should call them her so we can be inclusive. <laughs> Sing some her, 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 hurdy, I like that. I like um, I ran into that one time in my grad studies at ISU. A girl got up and saw a call, started calling it herstory. And I'm sitting there going, man, this girl's dumb. She can't even pronounce history. You know, but who's the, who's the barbarian in the room? <laughs> it's me sitting there and going, professor, why is she calling it herstory? Chauvinist. All right, go to 2 Timothy 4, verse 18. 2 Timothy. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Boom! To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Why is it to him be glory forever and ever? Amen. Because he brings me out of every evil. He rescues me and delivers me unto heaven. I was reading some Billy Graham the other day. Bill, I like Billy. If you listen to Billy up until the last 10 minutes, they're pretty good sermons. It's the last 10 minutes that are the problem. But Billy made a nice statement. He said, this place is not my home. Heaven is. I'm just passing through. You know? And it's a beautiful thought. And, and, and when we look at the reality of Jesus, his vocation is to rescue us. From sin, death, and the power of the devil. He is the Gideon that arises for us. And where did he do battle for us? On the cross. On the cross did Jesus go to war for us. Defeated the devil for us. We are captive. We are enslaved to sin, death, roll, and the power of the devil. And Jesus frees us. He rescues us from the jaws of hell. Like Luther says in the, sec the uh, second article of the creed. Beautiful. He is our Gideon. That arises for us. Not with a massive earthly army, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. He is our great Gideon. Comments, questions? Beautiful stuff, right? We're going to keep talking about Jesus. He's a pretty cool guy. All right. Let's... Yes, my beloved. Is that a salmon shirt? What color is that? It's salmon. Coral. Coral? It's my favorite backup band, the Coral Reefers. Jimmy Buffett's backup band. Go ahead, Alice. I'm sorry. What does it mean to avenge your wrong? Avenge. Well, you. What does avenge mean, Allison? No, you know what it means. You've seen the movies. Remember, anyone see Endgame? Anyone see Avengers Endgame? There's a point at the beginning where, where Tony Stark, right? He he he's brought back, right? The bad character, Captain Marvel, saves him. This is before she got the haircut, she brings him back. Am I ruining this for anybody? I haven't what? seen it. Who, am I, who, is, who has not seen this yet? Sarah, sorry, you had a couple years to do it. Get with the program. Um, so, you know, he doesn't die at the beginning. He died. Oh, hmm. Never mind. 
No, it's, it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's like if it's 52 AD and you're talking about Jesus being resurrected. It's like, you just ended the ending of Matthew. How could you do that to me? You know? But the thing is, he gets rescued and he, he's talking at the beginning and he says, we're the Avengers, not the Prevengers, but the Avengers. So what does it mean to avenge somebody? What has happened to us? What did Paul say in Romans? While we were still being sinners, while we were still being enemies, Christ died for us. Jesus doesn't wait for you to be good and then do something for you. He avenges and makes right the wrongs of you. He does the work that what you have done wrong is acquitted that you may be right with your heavenly Father. He avenges it. The reality is there's not one sin that is too great for Jesus to die for for you. Because, right, anyone ever grow up listening to the, the conversion stories? Anyone have those? You know, I used to smoke marijuana. I used, I don't know why he's a Cajun all of a sudden. You know, I used to drink the bourbon and I used to chase the loose women. Well, a lot of Cajuns are Baptists. Yeah, they are. I guess I just like Cajun accents, you know? And I've really been craving a po' boy lately. But the thing is, you know, he, he's all these things, but then he became a Christian and now he's better. So you're always worried about your past. You're not worried about what happens in the future, right? Because you don't know what's gonna, what you're going to do in the future. You assume you'll be better. But you always worry, and what gives you bad sleep at night is your past transgressions. And who reminds you of your past transgressions? The devil. The devil does. The world does. <laughs> Even you remembered. Have you ever said, I know Jesus forgives you, but I just can't forgive myself? This reality is Jesus makes right what we have done wrong. He avenges us. That's the beautiful thing about it. Does that answer your question? Fun time, sorry. Okay, and sorry if I ruined Avengers Endgame for anybody. <laughs> Thor's my favorite character, personally. I like Thor. All right, stanza three. Let us belt it out with gusto. As true as God's own word is true, not earth nor hell's satanic Verse 13 to 21, someone else, Luke 11, 21 to 22. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food and good seed. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name. I like it. Well, I should. It's God's word. <laughs> Luke 11. Who's got Luke 11? Thank you, Doug. Luke 11. 21, 22. You got it, my love? Go ahead. 
When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than him attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his poison. So that's when Jesus is accused, right, of casting out demons in the name of the eligible, right? And he says, a house divided cannot stand. And then he goes through this text of how the devil is the strong young one, yet Christ, the stronger one, has come and has overcome him, has bound him, and now divides the spoil. What's the spoil? Us. We're the spoil. We're, we're, the, we're the thing that the devil had, and now Jesus takes it, and he divides it up. It's his. It's beautiful. How can our victory not fail? Because Christ is the victor. Christ is the one who wins. He beats the devil. He beats the world. He overcomes the old Adam. He is the victor because Christ is the victor. And we are baptized into Christ. We are victorious as well. What does it mean to be victorious? To have won the battle. Huh? To have won the battle. You've won the battle. What does that mean? You're right. Last year in January, I had to have some humility and shame. Why was that? Thank you, Doug. Georgia lost to the University of Texas. Because Matthew McConaughey was on the field, and we all knew Georgia was going to lose then. I had shame and despair and other great vice. But anyone, and I remember this, sweet Mary Jo came into church. And she just did this. She got, how about those longhorns, Pastor Hall? And I was like, oh, Mary Jo. <laughs> Mary Jo, sweet Mary Jo, just boom, got me with one, one state. And that's how it is with the devil. It, 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 he may talk a big game, you can't be saved, you can't be forgiven, nothing good is going to happen for you. One little word can fell him like we sang in a mighty fortress. And that word is the reality of who we are in Christ, what Jesus has done for us, our justification, our baptism, the Lord's Supper, absolution fouls the devil, and that is our victory. Now he can't talk. There's nothing he can say. He's speechless when Christ speaks. And our victory is assured. Nothing we do, all what Christ does for us. Beautiful stuff. All right. Let's go to Psalms. Well, what time do we have? What time is it? 10, 11. 12, 13. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Last stanza. Ready? Amen, Lord Jesus, grant a prayer, great captain now, thine arm may bear, fight for us once again, so shall thy saints and martyrs raise a mighty cook, rest to thy praise,
and thanksgiving and honor, power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in, the, in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Oh, man. That's good stuff. We read that on the Feast of All Saints, right? This is our second reading. When we look at this uh, verse, this stanza and verse from Revelation, how does the image of heaven give us strength in this valley of sorrow? Think of a woman in, in labor. What gives her strength? What does it say in the scriptures? Her husband? Who said that? Repent. <laughs> her husband. That's cute. You watch too many Hallmark movies. Know <laughs> that the baby's coming, right? She care less about you. You did this to her. <laughs> Maybe strength that she wants to kill you. <laughs> but no, the husband's there as the coach. I get you. But no, the fact that the baby's going to be there, right? That in the end of this, the baby's there. So that's the focal point, right? Remember, I had a woman in Illinois, great lady, named Pat Redoux. Fun gal. Loved hats. Pat had a hat room in her house. That's how Allison started getting into hats, then Pat gave Allison a PhD in hat wearing. But I remember Pat was telling me one time about the, the birth of her son. This, I, my first funeral I did was for, for her son named Thomas. And um, we were talking about him, and she said when she was in labor with him, she was at, because her husband was Roman Catholic, they were at the, the Roman Catholic Hospital there in Peoria. And she looked, and there was a crucifix there. So the two thoughts she had the whole time was the cross and the baby coming, and that got her through the labor. When we look at this life, the life we have struggling with sin, struggling with doubt, struggling with other people, struggling with ourselves, the bliss of heaven is the reality that there's no sin, there's no scorching heat, every tear is wiped away. There's no sorrow, only joy and bliss supernal. This is, and where do we get a glimpse of this? Where do we get this on earth? In the divine service. Divine service, Sunday morning. This is where we get it. You know? Every church has struggles. Why are more people attending on a regular basis? Why are more people tithing? Like you probably noticed our tithing pretty much is in the pits right now at Zion, which is fun. Why is this? Is it because the economy is really, really bad right now? Nope. Isn't that what's going on? I heard the economy is like the worst it's been since the Depression, isn't it? Thank you. Okay. But why, does the, why do these things happen? It's because we don't understand that Sunday morning is heaven on earth. If we get that, heaven on earth on Sunday, everything else takes care of itself. If we understand that Sunday morning is we are being given the gifts of immortality, that when the pastor says the body of Christ given for you, the blood of Christ shed for you, he's literally feeding you immortality. When he absolves you of your sin, 
in the stead of Christ. He's forgiving you that which condemns you, that you may live forever. Right? This is what happens on Sunday morning. You are exactly right, Lisa. I love that. We, we've been catechized to not delight in the Lord. Because what happens with, with the Lord on Sunday? What happens if the pastor preaches a 35-minute sermon? Is everybody joyful? No. Excited? Going, yeah! He preached 35 minutes. I'm jacked up. No. Is that what happens? No, the husband and wife lean over to each other. <coughs> and the children go, we're supposed to not like this. Right? When you groan on the way to church, when we sing a 10 stanza hymn for the closing hymn, right? I know that's your favorite, Lisa. Anytime someone complains about a 10 stanza, I say, go see Lisa, she'll set you straight. But the reality is, I do it too. I've skipped church. I've done it. I've been bored during sermons. I love my pookie. I love Pastor Daniels. But I hear the sermon twice and he hears it twice. Do you think during the second service we pay as much attention as to the first service? Well, he does because I never preach from a manuscript, so you never know what's going to happen. The board of elders are sitting there going, oh, God, what's going to happen? What are we going to have to talk about this week? Oh, man. I'm keeping, I'm keeping the elders off. But the reality is, well, we all struggle with this, right? But what's heaven? Pastor Daniel said it in his sermon today. Heaven is before the throne of the Lord day and night, receiving his gifts and serving him in joy and singing. Singing the hymns together unto eternity. Wonder if they're singing a little flock right now. You know? They don't have one anymore. We sing it. But they now suffer no more. So closing today, question five, after discussing the difference between an incomplete hymn and a complete hymn, what are some incomplete hymns that are more popular than a little flock, and why do you think they are more popular even among Lutherans? What's the big one? We sing it sitting down. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. It's a good hymn, but it's not complete. It's hymn 662, 660, 660. 660 in our hymnal. It's a good hymn written by George Duffield, who is a Presbyterian. Presbyterian. Nice, close, but Presbyterian. It's not a bad, bad hymn. But what it is, is it's just not complete. Yeah, the, the reality is when we look at it, and this is something I'm going to uh, teach you all real quick. A very prominent professor at St. Louis Seminary through the 90s and the 2000s was Dr. Norman Nagel. Dr. Nagel made a point one time that if you can remove the cross of Christ from your sermon, then you must rewrite your sermon. Right? If you can remove it and still preach it, it is not a good sermon. No, yeah. Well, so the thing is, you can do the same with a hymn. If you can remove Jesus from the hymn and still sing it, then it needs to be rewritten. This has become a very popular hymn, right? One reason is because, what? what was the original language it was written? English. So we had this in TLH, right? We had it in LSB. So it's a prominent hymn. What's the other one? I was singing it this morning on my way to church. 
Onward, Christian soul. Not a terrible hymn, but it's just not complete. Because what's the thought of this hymn, Onward, Christian Soldiers? We're the ones doing the fighting. Come and fight along with me, my, my friends. The problem with the hymn is it does have Jesus in it, but he's the one we're carrying. But we're the ones doing it. We're the ones fighting. And the reality is we're never the ones fighting. Instead the only the, ones we're fighting is Jesus himself. Instead of the ones standing. Yeah, like it says in Ephesians, right? Yeah, well, in Ephesians 6, we stand. What? Or cross work. Christ working through us. Yes, Paul. The melody has a real strong influence on our favorite hymns. The two you yes. talked about, stand up, stand up for Jesus. Yep. Or what I call rousers. Exactly, exactly, yeah. The, the words, the, the text, yeah. Well, even when we just sang, I've memorized it, I've sang it a lot. The first time I sang a little flock, it wasn't easy. Even take our closing hymn today. Beautiful hymn, 941. Is it the easiest text to sing, especially if you can't hit the high notes? No, but beautiful hymn on a, a hymn version of the Deum. But yeah, you're right. I remember growing up, uh, we had a piano in the basement, and I remember the first two hymns I learned to play were Onward Christian Soldiers and Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. I wouldn't condemn anybody for singing these hymns. You know, I wouldn't go into a church that's singing Onward Christian Soldiers and go, you are false. I, I mean... But what I'd say is there's something more complete, something that is better. What's the third one? Big one. Fight the good fight with all your might. Right? Who wrote that one? Honor Christian Sword, written by an Anglican. Fight the good fight was also written by an Anglican. Not bad, yet again, but just not as much. You have to spend too much time defining what they mean by what they're singing. Yeah, it's what, what's being meant, but it's also if you remove Christ and his salvific work from the hymn, you can still sing it. And if you can still sing it, it's not as beneficial. You know? One of my kids' favorite... My, my, I mean, last year for Best uh, Picture for the Oscars, what was one of the movies nominated? It didn't win, but what was one of the ones nominated? I remember... Marvel movie, Black Panther was nominated for Picture of the Year. And Allison and I looked at each other and went, ugh. <laughs> My sons love it. But it's not Picture of the Year, you know, quality. It's not a terrible movie, but it's not like I'm going to sit there and go, man, this is on the same page with Casablanca. This one on the, water, on the waterfront won one year, right? Didn't that win? Yeah. You know? What was that? Yeah, Lawrence Marie, it's not on that same level. It's like when I say I like The Godfather, and one guy goes, I love Scarface. It's not really on the same level here. It's just not. How'd that get my buck? I will. What time do we have? 24. Cool. So when we look at these other hymns, it's not like we have to get angry about it and go, man, it, it, it's your anti-Christian, but it's the reality that 666, old little flock is the hymn that your pastors are going to sing to you when you're in hospice, when you're close to death. Because that's the hymn that will carry you from womb to tomb. That's the hymn that will actually comfort you with the assurance of what Christ has done for you. So meditate on those other hymns I mentioned. It's 660, 662, and 664 are the other three I mentioned. Look at them. 
meditate on them. You know, like I said, we sing them. One verse I really like in Onward First and Soldier, which is kind of a neat verse, it says, One in hope and doctrine, one in charity. Right? So it has good stuff in it. It's just that 666 is a much fuller and more complete hymn and beneficial for us. Comments, questions, concerns? It's like the same thing with certain sermons from some yeah. pastors. It's like they're not necessarily, what they said isn't always necessarily wrong. It's just yeah. they didn't finish it. Well, it's like I have a great, I have a good, um, my father-in-law, when he goes to church on Sundays, on the way he listens to this Presbyterian minister that's in San Antonio, and he says he's great, he preaches all the good stuff, he's really good, until he gets to until the gets part to about the decision. sacrament of the altar. <laughs> and the point I make is, well, he's no good at all then. Because he's rejected a certain big thing. You can be great at all this stuff. It's like, man, I have the best husband in the world. He cooks. He cleans. He works for me. The only quality he has that isn't good is he sleeps around on me. (laughs) Would anyone say that's a good husband? (laughs) No, of course not. You say it's a terrible husband. So the thing is, you can get some good stuff out of it. Like I mentioned, I can listen to a Billy Graham sermon and get good stuff out of it. But then I know the moment he hits, and now for you, I go click, and I turn it off. But not everybody goes click and turns it off. They finish it. Like even Rick Warren's The Purpose Driven Life has some good points to it. But is it a good guy that you should just read this? No, not at all. Because it ends up putting the salvation in your court rather than Christ's. So it's just being vigilant, but being, uh, being, what's it called? Discerning. Discerning. Good word for it. So it's fun times.